Hello, how are you? So glad to have our time again this week. I um, am thankful to be able to come on. I'm a little bit late, uh, but I am excited. Tonight we are um, going to be actually talking about someone's testimony that I had uh, the opportunity and to uh, hear and also the permission to uh, share it. So that's what we're going to be doing. How are you doing? Don't I? I I I just excited to see you. I'm trying to get this thing together here. <laughs> uh, but anyway, a lot, a lot, a lot. Every day, we we say that it's the same old things going on all the time, but <laughs> it's always something new. <laughs> but anyway, like I said, tonight we're going to be talking about. Um, your tragedy uh, will become someone's healing ointment. I was asked to sing this song by this young man, and we'll talk about his testimony in a few moments. And it's one that we hear a, have heard a lot, or maybe you haven't. It's a hymnal that was written by H.G. Spatford, and it was written because of a travesty that he had suffered. This uh, man of God lost all four daughters in a shipwreck. Didn't have one left. His all daughters at the same time. And his source of strength, of course, was the Lord. And he used that situation to uh, provide solace for himself. But it has, in all of these many, many years, been a solace for many of us. And it's, When peace like a river attendeth my way, When sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul, it is well, it is well with my soul, with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Now just think about it. We hear this song a lot. And the first verse he starts talking about his peace is like a river that attends his way. And when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever his lot, the Lord has taught him to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. How many of us would have gone through that and would have ever thought that that particular situation, something so uh, atrocious 
that didn't he had nothing to do with. But it took all of his children. And he's able to minister through that unfathomable hurt. I know as a woman what that would feel like, but a man, things that we go through, sometimes we don't understand or we, we take for granted that men go through too. And what I'm talking about tonight is a young man, he's 18 years old. And when I saw him, you can see that, yes, he's in turmoil. And, and uh, I could see from the distance this man that he was with, he was on the, the young man was on the passenger side and, and there was an older man driving and the older man would kept trying to give him this wig to put on his head. And you could see a long blonde wig and the young man pushed it off. And when he got out of the car, his, he was in full makeup and he had women clothing and women's everything, the, you know, the bags and everything. And, very sweet young man, and he just was drawn to me, and I guess he thought that I was going to say something. I wasn't about to do that, but I could feel a pain, a need with him. And he started following me around. He, Everywhere I could get in the store, he was trying to get to where I was. But I noticed that this older man was very afraid that for he to talk to me. And uh, I just didn't know what to do other than to pray and, and, and make my trip a little bit longer because I knew how are you, woman of God. I just knew that this young man needed someone to talk to. So the conversation came, and the first thing he came out of his mouth, he says, I'll watch you from time to time when I get the opportunity. I said, you do? Yes, I do. And he says... Um, I'm amazed because I didn't know that Christian people would be able to speak like you do and then still love those that are not like them. I said, what do you mean? He said, you can look at me and you can tell what's going on. I said, no, I don't. I, I can't just say that. I can see in your eyes that you're hurting. And he told me, he says, I am made to be my uncle's wife. I've been made to be his wife since I was eight years old. I said, is your natural uncle? And he says, no, he raised me though. And um, I said, well, how did you become his wife? And he said that uh, after his mom had died, his dad had already gone and his dad uh, was never faithful to the mother. He was always off with somebody else. And his mother always felt that she wasn't good enough. She never did remarry because she felt that if this man who didn't have too much going on would leave her, then she must not have much value. And he said that he knew all of his life that that wasn't true. And he had the strength about him that he would just tell the truth and say that you are not worthy of my mommy. <laughs> And that cost him because he would get smacked across the mouth and his, his lips would be swollen shut. And uh, eyes blackened and blue. And then one night before his daddy left, he brought his uncle, quote, uncle, in. And said, I need you to teach this boy how to be a man. 
And he just knew that that would entail that he was going to get a beating. But he was forced into some things and uh, that literally, he said, left his clothing bloody and all of these things. And he said, and while this was going on, he said that all he could think about is, if I make it through it, I can still take care of my mother. And his mother, because she was already ailing from uh, illness and she knew what was going on. She came in while this man was attacking her son. And her husband came in and told her she better not do. And he had all these other splitters he was saying to her. And he said, you better not do anything. You just sit there and watch this because you should have made this boy a man. And he shot that boy's mother right in front of him. He said that he knew then that his life wasn't going to mean much to many people because he didn't know if he was going to make it through this or not. From that point on, his uncle decided that other men could come in and do what they wanted to do whenever they wanted to do it. He was able to go to school, but better not say anything. And uh, he said he got to the point where he just allowed it to be. He didn't know what to do from there. He says... Um, he would go to school and there was a girl that he liked, but he said he now felt that he could not like her anymore because his uncle is now making him his wife. And he says that he wanted to talk to somebody, but his uncle told him that if he did, that he was going to die. He said, I don't know why I didn't allow him to kill me because he really did kill me when he did this to me the first time. And I'm sitting here listening. And then he comes and he, he goes on to say, you are Christian, I know, because I, I watch you from time to time. And, and he says, I just want to know. He said, because you said, I heard you say many times that someone like me, that the Lord loves us anyway. I said, what do you mean someone like you? Someone that let someone do this to them. I said, well, uh, there's others that feel they're born that way and they have marriages and they, they, they love each other and this and that and other. This what they say. He says, I don't believe anybody does. This is what he said. He said, they can't tell me that they really love that. I said, why do you say that? He says, because, he said, every time you undergo uh, a change when you engage in any relationship with someone, and this is profound because I know what the Lord has told me, but I'm listening to this young man. He said, you undergo a change. It's as if you become like them. And he says, that means that you couldn't have been that way already. He said, even the word, you call it the word, I call it the Bible. He says, said that the two should become one flesh, the man and the woman should become one flesh. See, what does that make me? When all these men, my uncles and all of these have done what they've done to me. What does that make me? But I still love this girl. And I've never been able to talk to her or any other woman. My uncle tells me that I got to dress like a woman sometimes. And, and he would take me out to clubs. And, and uh, I was too young. And then he said in the clubs I would go to, there were no women there. You already knew that. I said, yes, I did. And then he says, and then if he decided that that night he needed more money, I became the commodity. And me and I didn't know. 
He said, but there was one man that came in one night, and I'll never forget him. He said, what? He said, the strange thing is he never wanted to touch me. I don't even know why he was there. He said, but it didn't take long. He sat there and he started praying with me. He knew that I was in a situation that if they knew he was praying with me, that I probably wouldn't be living again the next day, he says. And he said, that man told me that there's someone that loves me. Regardless of what you're doing, whatever you're going through, if you decided that this is what you want for yourself, he's still going to love you. He's going to love you past your pain. He's going to love you past this experience. But if you let him, this will be your, your tra tragedy that you're going through right now will be someone else's blessing. You're going to be healing someone. That's the reason why the title tonight, your tragedy will become someone's healing ointment. When you get a relationship with the Lord, you become healing oil. You become the anointing oil for those that need to hear a word of love and kindness. Someone that uh, that has been hurt and, and, and forced into situations and, and, and maybe... It, even if it's like, uh, like business relationships, because some people are forced into some businesses they don't want to get into. They didn't know that that's what the bottom line said. And then even when they found out and they didn't want to uh, sign it, it's still the portions that they had already agreed to bound them to some things. And they're surprised. They're devastated. They're being used. Their gifts and talents are being used and abused over and over again. And then they're seeing more and more people drawn to the illusion. But yet, they say they know that it is an evil power that's causing them to be drawn to it. And that people don't even see them. They just see what is being performed. And this young man was saying this. He says that every day of my life, I think about being free. He said, you would think I'm free. I don't have shackles on me. I'm able to go to the store, but as you can see, I can't go alone because he's always here. He knows that I don't want him to do what he's doing. And I'm strong enough to overpower him. He said, but every time I do, he has other men there to strap me down. This has been going on since I was eight years old. He's 18 now. Mind of a, a man far beyond those 18 years. And he was saying that he doesn't understand why in America, why there is so much a division on what they know to be true. He said, I know because I'm living, I, even though I'm forced to live this lifestyle, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt the men that I've been with, forced to be with, have told me the same thing. They don't know why. They have wives, most of them. They have wives, girlfriends, some have children, and they still come there. He said, it's always because of a hurt or an absence of something that you desire. He asked me, he said, do you have a habit that you don't like? I said, of course I do. He said, what is it? I said, well, one I had, my mother said I had, even when I was a child, and biting the nails. I said, uh, it was like when I was growing up, I didn't uh, use them when I'm thinking a lot in a creative mode, or, or if it was a, a, 
a situation where it would get hot and sticky and you don't even realize you're doing but especially when you're doing tests, you know, you chew on a pencil or something like that. I said, but when I got older, I allowed my nails to grow very long. But I still find myself now because they had gotten soft. If I see one, I just pull it off, you know, peel it on off and things like that. I said, well, that's one of the habits. Another habit I have that I do not like, I said, there's the, that I'm, you can see it. I said, I have allowed myself to um, uh, get frustrated by some things. And I said, and when I got older, <laughs> hormones took over and, and some things you just don't let off. I said, another thing that really, I said, uh, and it bothers me because the enemy has gotten people to the point of they feel that you have to be a carbon copy of something. No, everyone should be healthy, yes. But this carbon copy, he says, I understand. He said, the same Force is the way he puts it. The same force that make people think you have to have a certain hair color or eye color or, or a certain weight. It's the same force that causes these men to do this to me. And he's saying the same thing as young children going through with parents. Uh, sometimes the children want to go and do something that the parents don't want them to do as far as uh, uh, career chores. He said, you, you look on the news and you hear these stories about everyone helping children overseas. He said, what about those here? He said, you hear about sex trafficking over and he says, generally, they always tell you it's either in Central America or South America or all of these things. He said, what about in the United States of America? Every day they're looking at children. And men and boys and women, little girls that are in sex trafficking right in your face. Where are the people not noticing them? He said, you immediately noticed me. I said, maybe it's to the point where people feel like they got to stay out of other people's business. He said, but that's not what the Lord told you to do. To stay out of anybody's business. He said that you're supposed to go and compel them to come in. I'm listening to this young man because I haven't even told you. But if you're listening, this young man has become a Christian. He became a Christian. And I thank the Lord because I didn't know I would ever meet him. He said he became a Christian one night when I had. And this was last year. He said I uh, offered the opportunity for him to do so. I was praying and I was led that night because you generally don't see me uh, start out with a prayer or, or, or end with a prayer. Sometimes I do and it's not because I don't have a prayer life. But I do what the Lord has asked me to do. So, um, I'm asking you all to pray because he asked me to even tell you his name and his name is Daniel. He loves the story about Daniel. How Daniel and his friends were uh, led by the Lord to be used in Babylon. The Lord had already said that this was going to happen. The children of Israel were going to be taken to a new place. And they were favored. Uh, the king's eunuchs were used to uh, train Daniel and his friends into the culture uh, they were able to uh, interpret dreams of any kind. They were prophets. And the Lord didn't allow them to be used 
they were not sexually abused. They wasn't contaminated by their their uh, insults or abuses or any of these things. The Lord gave them favor. And this young Daniel wanted me to tell people that he's praying for everyone who says that. And I just have to give it from his testimony. And like I said, from a Christian perspective, we have to do what the Lord says. He doesn't tell us to hate anyone. We're not supposed to. But there are certain things that he doesn't agree with what we do. That's, that's in all of us, whether we're going into certain lifestyles. When we sin, the Lord doesn't like it anyway. It's whatever sin we have, and he doesn't see one worse than the other. And he said to pray for them that and allow them to know that he's praying for them. And he wants us to pray that he gets the strength to be able to lead. Because every time he tries to, there's these men keeping him there. And these men will go back home to their wives. But when they want to satisfy their lust, they come to Daniel. And he's a handsome young man. And yes, he, when they make him up and put him in a wig, you would not even know he's not a woman. Because they put the uh, the bra and, and pad it up and everything. And uh, the one thing you can tell that he's not a woman because women are not built like that. He's thin, but he's still very much masculine, very much muscular. And he says that maybe they'll hear it from me. Someone that's living this, have been living this life since I was eight years old. And I know that I am a man. My body tells me that I'm a man. He says that if I were to become a woman, I would have to constantly give myself hormones to make me look that way. But I'm still going to be a man. And he says, and I have desires as a man. He says, but your body will uh, react to whatever stimuli. He said, and that's what's confused some. He said, I'm thankful, but I've, I've always had the strength to know this is forced upon me. I would either have to see it or I would have to hear it. He said, I heard you preach about that. I said, I really wasn't preaching. He said, yes, you're preaching. <laughs> he says, and I would love to hear you preach. But he says, you were preaching to me, the hurt in me. He said, when those who are in pain want to be healed, they're going to run to a healer. Whether it's the drugs or alcohol or to sex. He said, you wonder why those that have been abused run to the one that abused them? I said, yes, I, I, I know that happens. I said, and uh, that happened to, even when I was in children's families, that children would do that. And sometimes you bring them back home to those that once abused them. But you give them, uh, you try to, and you hope that you have, given them tools to understand why. They responded a certain way. Going back to the habits. He said, this habit that I have is that I'm still trying to protect my mother who's not here anymore. I know that I will make her proud when I leave here. He said, because my thoughts, the reason why I still stay here, because I'm afraid that when I leave, that I might end up in prison. I said, why? He said, because I don't think I can stand to know that these men exist. And he said, and I got saved. I even, this, he said, my uncle, even a bringing Bibles for me, wants me to uh, read it out to him. He said, isn't that sick? I said, no. 
No. Because the Lord placed the desire for us to worship him inside. We can choose to or not. Your uncle, which is not his uncle, but you know, he was raised, he was told this, and now this man is telling everyone this is his wife. I said, he's, he has an illness. I said, one, that if he feels that you are his nephew, you should be his nephew. He should not be telling everyone that you're his wife. So there's a sickness in his spirit. I said, I'm not even going to say it's mental. It is a sickness in your spirit. He's been hurt. I said, now you got to go to the root cause of what he's doing. Generally, those that have been abused in the area, abuse in that area. I said, so uh, if you get the opportunity to talk to this man, have him to tell you his story because apparently he hasn't. I said, you say that every time he does this, uh, he cries and then he goes and gets drunk for days and then he comes back and try to make up and all of these things. I said, this is a pattern that was done to him. I said, because he's doing it every single day, every single week on end, the same thing over and over again. That has become his habit. And you have to pray for him. This Daniel, I tell you, I thank God for him because it's a hard thing. We, we, we had this brief conversation, but we were trying to talk. And it's amazing how the Lord is doing. And you know, right now you have the six foot distancing. And then some people, they are to the point that they literally have people that you were speaking to months ago that would speak to you all the time, will turn their head from you just because, just in, and they have their mask on and everyone have their mask on and, and we looking like these uh, 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 zombies. Anyway, but we have our mask on and you're six feet away and some are trying to get at least 12 feet away because they're hearing all this stuff. And, and you already have your mask on, but you're going to have to pray that the Lord mask you if that were the case. Because there is nothing that can take you out of here if the Lord don't want it. I know that sounds strange to people that they're hearing that it seems like that the uh, medical establishment well the medical establishment those that are really have the calling for in the medical field are not saying these things they're really not they're called to allow themselves to be used to save lives they're not into the propaganda but as the lord had already told me this thing is about money it is totally about money it's totally about control and it's totally about the enemy trying to get his way. Oh, he will eventually. For a little while. But not right now. But anyway. as we, we uh, What made it so easy today for us to talk is because all of these people were just like, oh my goodness. Uh, and he was six feet because they have the little arrows in Walmart. They have the little arrows that tell you to stand here, you know, and you six feet keep distancing away. They got that thing together, I'm telling you. Walmart always have had their stuff together now. So they have it together. You know you're six feet away, exactly six feet. So that's where we were. So this conversation wasn't very uh, soft-spoken. But because it was going in the direction of the Lord, people scattered. And I, I, I wanted to cry. I really wanted to cry. 
Not because they were distancing themselves from me. That's, that's real. I'm used to that. Even when people are close to you, sometimes they distance themselves. So that, that really doesn't uh, bother me in the natural sense, but spiritually it always will. Because when we're asking the Lord to be the light of our life, you're asking the Lord to use you. And they distance themselves because of him. He can take it though. Another thing he asked me, he said, what other habits you might have? I said, hmm. I said, the habit that I have, I do love deep, but when I, I have come, if I'm hurt, I said, I might not always respond the way that I would like to. I said, that's uh, true of all of us. I said, but it's especially to whom it might have done it. I said, I'm, I'm one that I feel like uh, everyone, if you, you, you know that you hurt someone or if you said something, you apologize. Don't try to sweep it under the rug. Don't try to make it uh, uh, as if it's non-existent. Because that makes uh, light of what you've done and you devalue that person who know you did it. Whatever you did or whatever you said, do not pretend that you did not do that and you know that they know this. That bothers me. So my, my habit there is I think I, I would say to try to get them to tell the truth because you're ticking me off when you don't. So, <laughs> so we talked about that. And I said, and, and, and then I pray all the time that my response to someone that diminishes my existence that way, that my, my response is not to um, uh, even respond. Now, that's that's been difficult. And so I, you all know if you've been talking to me at any length of time now this is our talking section this is our chat room here you know that I'm going to be unabashedly transparent <laughs> and the Lord uh, I'm thankful that he made me that way so I was thinking back on this and I told him a little of my testimony some I have not shared yet um, because of the individuals that involved you know when we go through all sorts of travesties and tragedies, especially those of a sexual nature. It is always going to be shocking to those to whom uh, uh, we hear about it because it's going to affect more than just you. These people who do these things are totally different when they're around their loved ones or their wives or, you know, the children, other family members. They would have no idea that these people would go to this extreme to uh, uh, relieve a, a, a pain or a try to fill a void. No one would believe. So I have a, a, a list in my spirit. And is, is it um, running my life? Absolutely not. Every time that I share this testimony, and sometimes the tears may flow, not because I still feel that, not because I'm still there. It's not a testimony if I would still respond to, because my response even at that time as a child was not an ugly response. I hid it. Because I was automatically praying for that person. you got to remember, I became a Christian first. So, if you truly are a Christian, 
He's truly using you. That's exactly what he's going to do. You are not going to be able to just automatically do whatever you want to do. Your emotions will not overflow, overrule him, except one or two things. You really didn't accept him or you're not mature. The Lord will mature you at whatever age when you will ask him and allow him to. Like I said, I was living with my parents every day of my life. And my mother, though, my mother didn't find out until I was 13. And that's because I was um, standing up for a friend of mine. And see, a lot of these things, like I said, it's, it's very difficult because you don't know if they told that story. But you can't stop talking, telling your testimony just because they didn't share a thing. It's truth, it's truth. It's going to help someone else. That tragedy, if they allow it, that tragedy is going to allow them to be healing anointment for someone else. This young man, his life is going to change forever from the time we spoke, from the time he was presented to me. I, I got his face in my eyesight, in my vision, in my line of vision. His life is forever changed. To be able to share what he's sharing. And then immediately I started praying against uh, suicide. Because he's determined he's going to get out of it one way or the other. But there's a testimony for him. There are so many men and young boys that need to hear this. That are going through this now. And, and, and this, the, this idea that uh, certain men would not engage in certain activities. Come on, lust demon is a lust demon. And I know that offends uh, someone to think that someone think is saying that you are not uh, valuable because you were once engaged in something that controlled you. But it shouldn't offend you. It should get you to the point where you say, okay, I need this medicine. I told you all before, maybe not this not this part of my family, <laughs> uh, but uh, if if you have had the opportunity to listen to some of uh, our chat room sessions um, on Facebook, I probably told you about when I was a three-day alcoholic and a three-day chain smoker, around nine years old. I guarantee you I did. And as I told you, I was five when this happened. Five and a half, almost six. And then you start dealing with the pain in others. You're seeing it in other children. Things that they are going through. Or the sadness of that someone's daddy has tried to touch you. Or someone's uncle and they're singing in a choir and all of these things and you're keeping that secret. So my, I didn't know that my grandmother, the, the doctor, had told her to use uh, a little wine every day for heart, to, to prevent the hardening of the arteries. Had no clue. See, your giftings, the Lord is wanting to use them and reveal them. The enemy has an idea of certain things. And, and if no one's around you to tell you what 
uh, is going on in your life. I was able to see things that I, I, I wasn't supposed to see naturally. My parents can attest to this. I was able to uh, talk about things that they knew was true that I had no clue, had no idea naturally to know. So the enemy knew no one was telling me what was going on with what the Lord was calling me to do. That he wanted to use it for his benefit. And so I just had this desire to go into my grandmother's house. Because she had just moved down next to our, my parents had a house. They had um, one of the houses that, you know, you move on a property, you build it on up. And they were building on the home that my baby sister had grown up, grown up in. She was born, well, she, after she was born, she was raised there from the time she was born. So, um, I had gone to my grandmother's house and I found this wild Irish rose wine. Never had been opened because um, my grandmother wasn't about to do that. It's not going to happen. Absolutely not. And then all of a sudden, this is like, go ahead, get it. And I never stole anything from my grandmother. And that's stealing. It is, even though she's going to see it. Because I didn't hide the bottle. And I poured a cap full, one cap full. That one time, as soon as I did it, I felt like someone was giving me a tight hug in my chest. Warm feeling, tight hug. I went on to play with my sister, not telling her anything. Okay, and then all of a sudden, a pack of cigarettes. I, I don't know who had it or anyway, but my sister decided she wanted to try to smoke. And I'm the oldest one, but she wanted to try this. And she gave it to me and for some, go ahead, try it. And I took a puff. I was watching everybody observe people, their, their demeanors and how they did things. And, and my grandfather, those. And, and um, so I knew how to inhale. How? Just watching them. And knew how to blow it out. And oh, it felt terrible coming through your nose. But that's okay. One puff. Got to remember. One cap. little small cap. A wide orange rose wine. One puff. I did this for three days. One puff, one cap. And never did after that. The Lord delivered me from becoming a chain smoker or an alcoholic. Because immediately, if he had not helped me, from that time I felt that warm hug, he let me know that's what an alcoholic feels. That's what an addict feels. They want to chase that first initial feeling. That feeling of trying to get you from that pain that you're feeling. And you never do. And if you heard me before, I also talked about when the Lord showed me vision many years later. Because I was in a ministry and we were dealing with um, homeless shelters. But we started getting more clientele that was on alcohol and drugs. And I had never been on drugs. I knew the brief moment about the alcohol with the cap. You know, the one little cap full. So it's three caps fulls I had in my life during that time. And it's like, but he, I never forgot that feeling. And I didn't know what he said. I'm going to, he said, remember this. You're going to be able to know what to do with it later. That's exactly what he told me. Didn't know what that meant. 
And it was many years later because I was in my 30s, around 30, 32 or 33 years old when um, I was able to um, utilize that experience. Because I told you before that uh, when I was married the first time, I, was, I had gone to sleep on the sofa and my family was telling me that they couldn't wake me up at all. I slept eight hours, they said, and that was very rare for me at the time. But to me, it felt like weeks, weeks. Because I was, uh, like I said, I uh, saw this vision where I was going into this house. And it was a very nice house in the neighborhood. And no one would even know the activity was going on there. They might have saw people going in and out there. But the house wasn't broken down or anything. Not the stereotypical stuff that you would hear. But it was a drug house. I got up to this man and, and he had on his blue jeans. And I said that, and you know, the wife beater, they call it, you know, the t-shirt. And uh, his pants wasn't sagging. You didn't see his boxer shorts, but his uh, pants were bigger. And uh, he had the scarf on his head and all these things. And yes, he had on jewelry, but he wasn't overly laden down with jewelry. And uh, I noticed when I got up to him, he said, what is your taste? Never heard of this stuff before. And I handed him some money, and he already had was the money because he added it to what he had. And then I walked into this house, and I noticed that everything on the left, everybody, all the rooms were clean, but they were doing some things. Let me tell you, whatever you wanted to do, you could do. I even saw orgies going on in some of those things. So whatever you wanted to do, whatever your flavor of the week or the month or the, of, the, of the second was right there on that side. And I... Where I was going was straight down the hall. And the room that I was going in was the dirtiest of them all. There was dirty mattresses there and uh, paper from food there and all of these things. And it smelled awful because some wasn't bathing for days or maybe weeks on end. And I, this one gentleman was there and this young lady and he was, and they were sharing things, their cups and everything. They shared everything. You could feel the love in this place much more. And even though it's the most dirty of all these rooms, there was more love in that room than any of these others. There, there was nothing. You just knew there was raw flesh up there. Whatever they wanted to do and they had money, they looked good and all these things. And people, you would not even believe were doing what they were doing. Because when they left, they left in these beautiful, pristine vehicles, and they and, and and it's like I saw them in positions that you wouldn't even believe. And a lot of them was from the church, but I saw them. And in that room where I was, this man was helping this young lady. Said, "You're not doing good. You're not doing good. Come on, girl. Come on, girl. You need this. Take this here. Take this here. Take this here." I didn't know at the time he was supposed to be talking to me. You're not doing good. You're not doing good. Take this here. Take this here. Come on now, 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 come on, he stuttered. And I could feel myself taking this hit, never heard that terminology at, at all. And I could see this, uh, uh, this, uh, you know, the scrub pads, this a copper scrubbing pad for pots and pans. And they were putting it on this little pipe and they were burning the smell of this chemicals of this. Oh, it was awful to me. But here I was with that smelly stuff and going to hit that pipe. And then all of a sudden I was feeling itchy on my skin. I kept 
tapping my skin and just, oh, it felt off and just, my mouth has felt so dry, just like cotton mouth. And then still, I wanted to go back there. And when the, the, the thing that got me was, as soon as I would hit this pipe, it's like this big screen TV, like a movie screen was right in front of me. And I could see different parts of my life that I wanted to uh, forget about. And the amazing thing was it wasn't the, uh, it wasn't the, the, the bad stuff that I wanted to forget. I seemed to, I, it seemed as if I could handle that. It was the good stuff. Because the more I saw the good stuff, I wasn't doing that anymore. I didn't want anybody to see where I was at this moment. So I would hit this pipe to forget that. And that was teaching me something where people were thinking that, oh, these people, they just don't really care. No, they do. They don't want you to see them, that they feel like they no longer are what they were doing. They didn't realize they had value beyond their performing. They, they have more worth than a certain duty. But they were stuck at what people thought or, or what they felt they were capable of doing. And I saw this. And so immediately, is part of me, I, I saw in this vision that I couldn't take it anymore. So I left this room. And I, is you, if you ever been to uh, Six Flags, because it's the only place I can remember being there, they had a gravity room there. This thing was like uh, iron. It looked like iron. And the floor would drop out. But anyway, I was climbing up and almost like, circle like a, a cannon. It's narrow at the top the way it was in this vision. And uh, I was climbing out of there. And I was almost out. All of a sudden, the enemy put oil on the wall. It's already slick as iron or metal. And I'm climbing out. But finally, I got almost out. And I noticed it was myself pulling me out of this pit. So I had my hand on. I was on the outside. Come on, you can do it. I'm almost out. I had my hand gripped tight to come on out. Only had a few more steps to come out of this. And then the enemy who was in this drug dealer started laughing, this laugh. And all of a sudden I saw like this uh, topaz looking rock. Look like, uh, you, we would think it's topaz or quartz. Go across the floor and I heard the terminology that I had never heard in my life. Butter. And when he said, I got this for you. And I saw that butter run across the room, roll across the room. He put it on that pipe. I slid, took my hand out of my own hand and went, got back down in that room and hit that pipe. And he laughed. The Lord was showing me how difficult it is. And where people are judging, oh, they can just get out of it. No, 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 no. They're gonna, it's going to take some prayer. It's going to take them not accepting the habit of not thinking more of yourself than what you have done. Because you are better than your last performance, your last duty, your last career. That was a part of you, yes, but there's so much more to you. Don't allow that habit, that tragedy of losing that cause you to not be someone's anointing oil, someone's healing oil. Don't allow your last sexual 
escapade or encounter cause you the habit of never giving yourself the credit of being valuable to just one person. To be valuable to yourself first. Because if you're not valuable to you, if you don't see that your, your body is worthy of honor, worthy to be treated better than just the, the, the newspaper that's flung up on the sidewalk or toilet paper, you are going to form a habit of always trying to fix a hurt. Feel a void. Just like someone's on drugs. That has become your habit. That has become your drug. Trying to find love. You, we hear it all the time. Finding love in all the wrong places. And looking in all these wrong faces. So Daniel wants us to know. That who the Lord says you are, you are. Even though it may feel good right now. He says, even at that. He said, even those that's telling you that they're okay and they are happy and they are blissful, they aren't, he says. There's always something that's letting them know, that's gnawing at them. To let them know that this is not it. He said, you notice that they're trying to duplicate what God had already said is to be. Everyone wants to be loved. Everyone wants a family. But you notice, he said, notice that if they were happy, they'd be happy at being who they are. They'd be content. He said, then why is men then trying to be women when they know they're men? Now, this is coming so far and someone, like I said, is living that lifestyle. He's not being judgmental. He's living it. I'm not being judgmental, even though I've never lived it. I have experienced those uh, molesting me that were of the same sex. So I can understand where these people, if they're used to this every day, taught this even as children, you start responding to that stimuli. You may think that that is the way it's supposed to be. But your spirit will always let you know there's something different. I ask you, I actually welcome you to not be afraid to look at the root cause of why you think the way you're thinking. Don't allow yourself to uh, buy into the propaganda that the enemy is doing, that everybody is out to get you, that everybody's out to hurt you. That... Uh, Everybody should leave my business alone. Live and let live. The one who desires you the most is the one that created you. And he loves you so much. He just wants to spend time with you. He wants a relationship with you. But there is a, a, a uh, there is stipulations. He's got to be the only one. He doesn't do orgies. He don't do one night stands. He doesn't want to be your laymate or your playmate. He wants to be your husband. Now we know in the body of Christ he's talking about male and female. Yes, all of us. We are considered the bride because he came for us. It has nothing to do with your gender. It has to do with your relationship. 
So the Lord doesn't want any other idols in your life. He doesn't want your husband or your wife as your idol. He doesn't want you to put anybody before him. If you love him with your whole heart, you can love your wife or your husband like he wants you to. And that's with everything that's in you. And when both of you love him like that and see him like that, I promise you the problems that you will have will not be from the inside of your home. It may always try to come from the outside. But if it's coming from between the two of you, there is a problem. And I guarantee you it's a spiritual one. Money cannot tear your house up. You hear people saying they're divorced over money. Money is a tool. It cannot tear up a relationship. It's how people think about it, how they value it, what they do with it that does that. If you are in a situation like Daniel, you're being forced into a, a prison because he's trying to get out. And he could physically get out except these men are forcing him. Literally tying him down and, and, and getting that sexual gratification off on him. If you're in a situation, even if it's not that particular circumstance, but that you are forced to endure some things that you don't want to. you you having to stand down less than what God told you to. Because you want that relationship to work. I ask you to give it all over to the Lord. And if you have to leave, if they leave you, or if you have to lose that relationship, don't lose your relationship with the Lord. Because ultimately, that person cannot put you in heaven. They can help you if you allow them to, to send you to hell. I'm asking you to choose the one who loves you with everything in you. Choose him because he loves you so much. Don't worry about if whatever you've done, maybe if something that you wanted to do. Don't worry about if he's going to throw it in your face. No, he's not. Once you've asked him to forgive you, he does. And he doesn't bring it back up. But you got to be real with him. See, that's one of my pet peeves is someone lies to me. Pretend that I don't understand. Try to make light of my existence. Because you want to keep lying, that's my pet peeve. That's my habit to try to get you one way or the other to understand I'm not that stuck on stupid. And see, that's something I have to pray about because I don't have to respond to any of that. The Lord knows the truth. You too know the truth. Whether you want to face it or not, truth is truth. And truth will always heal. It might be hurt for at first because it's going to expose some things that you might not even thought existed in yourself. Why you allow certain things to take place. You might be in a situation such as myself. And this I didn't bring uh, these that past into any relationship that I had. That, that never was because... I understand they had nothing to do with that. But when you have been hurt over and over again, 
by those that you don't know. There may be some habits you have, like such women. They think that only women may overeat something or that sort of thing and why they do it. They are noticed they might overeat if they're nervous or if someone is yelling or screaming or saying hurtful things, they might do those things. But you got to understand the root of why you're doing that. It's like that's your defense. You don't have to do that. Food is only a tool, just like money. That food is to nourish you. It cannot protect you. There's a true and a living God that can protect you. And he will find a way to get you out of an abusive situation. Don't allow anything, whether you feel that you won't have a place to go. Whether you feel that you have to give up everything. And even if it's for your livelihood, something that you need. If someone is making you feel that you are nothing without them. Then you give it over to the Lord. Because he told you in his word, you don't have to worry about where you're going to eat. What you're going to eat or where you're going to sleep. He said, consider the lily of the fields, how they neither toil nor spin. And Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like them. In other words, you're going to be taken care of. These birds of the air don't take care of themselves. There's always something that the Lord have there. There's volunteer berries, even for deer. Now, if he's going to take care of nature like that, you are created in his image and in his likeness for the very pleasure that he wants to see you, hear you, love you. You think he's not going to take care of you? I promise you he will. But you got to trust him. He doesn't deal with doubt. He cannot even operate in doubt. He doesn't give you fear. He gives you strength. He gives you faith to receive what you don't see. That's exactly what faith is. It's already accepting that what you're hoping for. It's the... It's Proof that it already exists before you even see it. That's how he operates. He deals with who you really are, your spirit, not that outside body. And it may be sure enough fine. And you should see yourself that way. Don't worry about what other people are saying. You probably gained weight or lost weight or whatever. You still sure enough fine. Because the Lord said it. You created in his image. For his very pleasure. Yes, someone might have hurt you and betrayed you over and over again. And you don't understand why. And you're wondering why they would go to whom they had gone with. Don't let that make you feel less than who God made you. Maybe somebody invaded you like they're doing this Daniel. But you're still valuable to the Lord. Allow that tragedy that you have gone through. To become someone else's healing ointment. Oh, I thank you all for joining me every week. I tell you, I really, really consider it an honor. I love you with all of my heart. And this is the truth. And I'm going to tell you the same old things every single week that the Lord allow us. And this one is more important. That God loved you first and he loves you best. God bless you. Good night.